My name is Bill Peterson, and we are here to talk about uh, mergers, alliances, and partnerships. And I'm joined by two of my colleagues. Uh, Dina Bailey is the um, <clears throat> Director of Museum Experiences for the Freedom Center in Cincinnati. And Lisa Anderson is the President and CEO of the Mesa, Museum, Mesa Historical Museum in, in Mesa, Arizona. And I am currently institutionally unaffiliated. Um, so that partnership went well. And today, today, what we thought we would do is um, we would have uh, we, we we were going to break into uh, separate groups depending on what it was you wanted to talk about. So um, with that, um, I will be talking about uh, basically mergers or alliances where you where you take several dis distinct history organizations and create one new company in a in a rural location. And I will pass the microphone on to my colleagues, and that way you will be able to decide a little bit about which one of us you might want to gather around as we as we try to you know work through this somewhat informal discussion today on mergers, alliances, and partnerships. Dina. So as Bill said, I am Dina Bailey. I am the Director of Museum Experiences at the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center, which recently merged with the Cincinnati Museum Center. And so as I'm talking, we'll be talking about a large location, so Cincinnati kind of as an urban area, as well as two relatively large museums. So the Cincinnati Museum Center has a children's museum, a history museum, a natural sciences, an omnibus. Max, their collection center, and um, it's called the Edge of Appalachia, so kind of an apple orchard area. And then the Freedom Center is a national museum, very culturally um, significant and has a focus on the Underground Railroad. So we talk about a lot of sensitive topics. So kind of how the Cincinnati Museum Center and the Freedom Center have merged together. And a lot of what I will be talking about is the logistic part of merging. So talking about what happened from our due diligence phase to the actual merging uh, that happened in July. And we've just had a year since then, so we just celebrated our one-year merged anniversary in July. And so kind of the pros that we've seen from that, the cons that we've seen, and really the practical logistics of what's going on, um, what the staffs are feeling like on both sides. So mine's very practical and kind of how these two institutions are working together. Um, and again, both my institutions are a little bit larger and have a national focus and then a city and regional focus. So kind of if you are interested in that, but certainly if you are a smaller museum, that doesn't mean that you can't get kind of the logistics from this as well. Hi, I'm Lisa Anderson, the director of the Mesa Historical Museum, Mesa, Arizona. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about um, a non-traditional type of alliance where there's not a merger involved and there's no formalized agreement. Um, I'm going to talk to you about the East Valley Museum Coalition, uh, which is a coalition of several organizations in the Phoenix metro area. And I'm just going to lay the or set the stage a little bit about what I'm going to be addressing. Um, there's many reasons, uh, as you know, for museums to collaborate, and that includes sharing resources, protecting resources, expanding audience, and um, oftentimes collaborations form as a reaction to something um, imminent in the community as well. And so um, although the practice within our coalition includes these reasons for collaboration, it's quite a bit different. 
So I wanted to give you just a little bit of uh, background on sort of uh, how we got to our collaboration, and then we can talk more in our group. But um, it was formed on the, um, it was based on a set of unique questions that we asked ourselves that led to new assumptions about the ways that history organizations do business. So the first thing that we did, uh, step one, was constructing a new paradigm for ourselves in our region. So we, we looked at all of our organizations and, and started to deconstruct our theory and our practice. And we wanted to, to see, um, you know, what connections do Phoenix area museums have to their communities? And when we examined this question, we found that our connections were rooted in the past and were not long, you know, no longer relevant. Um, and so when we looked at how history studies uh, how communities respond to change, we began to address how our own institutionalized history practice had created models that, that weren't responding to change. And so after several months of doing that, um, it led us to, to think about how can we initiate change at our museums and incorporate a variety of um, shifts in programming, outreach, and so forth um, that would create a new environment, which we all could thrive in. Um, and uh, so... Together, we started to formulate a new set of questions. We asked, how can we apply history so that the result is suited to reflect and build community? We asked, what issues or public needs require history the most? And if our role is to act as agents of societal change, then how can we popularize what we do in a way that demands consumer support? And as a result of this inquiry, we uh, began to develop a new model for business, and we agreed that museums need to achieve a long-term sustainability in order to support the creative work they do, um, and that the practices within our organizations um, and our creative ambitions can sometimes operate at clashing paradigms, um, both individually at our organizations and regionally. And this, but despite the challenges, um, museums provide a service, and uh, that leads to, if the service can lead to a more nuanced and complex identity, um, more meaningful societal action, and more purposeful celebration than we have a reason um, to, to exist and to uh, create new ways to work together. So um, we asked ourselves, does a new model for operations, what does a new model for operations look like if we adopt these assumptions? And so I'm going to talk uh, when, we, when we get together about how we created a new model. We call it the Heritage Services Model and um, what that looks like in terms of our practice today after about four years of working together. So with that being said, this is going to be a roundtable. It's going to be we're going to break it up into three uh, intimate groups. The, and I, I'm going to trust you to break it up. Um, amongst ourselves. So Dina's going to stay up here because part of the session is being recorded by the gentleman in the back. We're on, we're on tape tonight. And uh, we're going to have a live CD coming out at the end of the session, and we'll all be famous. <clears throat> um, and then if, if it's, if it's uh, agreeable to everyone, um, I'll just kind of go over to this side of the room, and, and Lisa could go to that side of the room. And what you're most interested in, um, whether it's a, the coalition, much like what Lisa is going through, or a, or a larger partnership or a smaller partnership or merger or alliance, um, you could you could then kind of gravitate towards um, Dina or myself. Is that does that sound acceptable to everyone? Sure. I'm going to talk about. I'm going to do small. Dina's going to do big, and um, Lisa's going to do something in between. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. So we're talking about kind of 
the small aspect, the logistical aspect, and the coalition without the formal merger together. All right, so Lisa, Dina, Bill. And just really quick for a show of hands, how many people are going through some type of collaboration that's not yet a merger? All right, and how many people are going through a merger currently? And how many people are thinking about doing some type of collaboration or merger but aren't really sure yet? All right. I think that kind of evens out a little bit. There seem to be a few of you who are just interested in the topic. So that's amazing as well. So if we'll split up, Lisa will be over here. I will be in the center and Bill will be on that far side. physical space is huge and the Cincinnati Museum Center is still as large as it was. So just to kind of give a little background on this, the uh, National Underground Railroad Freedom Center, which is where I work, opened in August of 2004. We spent about $110 million on the building, which was a lot of money. Uh, in the beginning, we had about 157 full-time employees. And our mission, which was even then and, and continues to be, to reveal stories of freedom's heroes from the era of the Underground Railroad to contemporary times, challenging and inspiring everyone to take courageous steps for freedom today. So it is very much a 21st century mission. It is very much about ideas and causes and change as opposed to collecting and preserving and interpreting. And this is located where? In Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Ohio. And so the reason that we're in Cincinnati is because that is where a lot of the Underground Railroad activity happened. And so basically what we do is we take the stories of the Underground Railroad, whether they're local stories or more national stories, and we use those to continue forward. So for example, our core values are courage, cooperation, and perseverance. And we say that with the Underground Railroad and the abolition movement, it took courage, cooperation, and perseverance to make a successful freedom movement. But we would also argue that whether you're talking about the fall of the Berlin Wall, the end of apartheid, um, any of these freedom movements that are more contemporary, you can use that same courage, cooperation, and perseverance in terms of freedom movements. With our mission, you guys probably saw it said from the era of the Underground Railroad to contemporary times. So we can focus on just about anything, which has been part of our problem, part of our strength, because we can focus on so many different areas. Sometimes that's a really good thing, but sometimes we have trouble kind of filtering down. So that is the Freedom Center programmatically. Financially, we have always been in trouble. So again, we spent a lot of money building this museum. We didn't have as much attendance as we thought we were going to have because 
It's a national museum in the Midwest. Uh, so we had a lot of constraints coming out of that. Now, looking at the numbers, sometimes we would be where we needed to be, sometimes we would be just below, so we've always kind of been keeping our heads above the water. Um, and in that, we would start the, the year off on a good note, knowing that we had a gap. And so every year, it was trying to make up that gap, and we would make it up, but it wasn't a very good situation. And so from 2004, now we're looking at uh, last year, right? And so our donors are starting to say, we've been, from our point of view, bailing you guys out year after year. You're doing some great things. You've got a great mission. But we want you to be sustainable. We want you to always be in the black. We want to know that you're going to continue into the future. So that is kind of where we started to have these discussions with the Cincinnati Museum Center. They're doing all right. Um, they do have some money going in because they actually are in the Union Terminal. So some of their money comes from the city with taxes and things and levies, um, but they have to raise all of their programmatic money as so well. So they're private? So, yes. Okay. And endowment? Yes. Okay. How soon did that discussion start? You said you opened in 04? We opened in 04. That discussion did not happen until it must have been December of 2011. So, yes, very recent. And then we're starting to say, you know, we've got to make something consistent. And a lot of our donors in the Cincinnati area were saying, well, we're giving money to both of you. Why don't you have this discussion? Um, and it wasn't necessarily driven by competing resources because that's what some of the other groups are talking about. So it wasn't that necessarily that we were competing. It was more that the Freedom Center was not as sustainable as the community thought that it should be and that they thought it was an important enough institution to do this. May I ask, sorry, sorry to interrupt, um, how long was the um, conception behind the, creating the National Underground Freedom Center? How, how long did it take and was there a business plan that was sort of mapped out and did it fail or? So we started, not we, but the Freedom Center started in about 1994 and so then we opened in 2004. So there was a lot of time for planning. Um, there were a lot of different voices that came to the table. Ultimately, some of the voices that had the loudest projection ended up being some of our business members who didn't necessarily have all of the museum experience to back it up. Um, and certainly there were museum people behind it, but as an example, when attendance numbers were thrown out by a consulting company, and then our people were like, well, yeah, we're going to take the highest number instead of taking a more realistic number. So there were a lot of those things. So there was definitely a business plan, but the business plan was not always as realistic as it needed to be. Um, there were also a lot of, I will say, corporate or business people who were part of it in the beginning. And so they were spending money as for-profits would spend money as opposed to nonprofits who are trying to save and create endowments and do things like that. So we do have an endowment, but not very, very big of one. So let me just, I would like to repeat what I think I heard you say. Mm -hmm. And speak up just a little bit. The business leaders, or the business types on your board, 
were aggressive about choosing the high level for attendance, not the low. Mm-hmm. And they were aggressive about wanting to spend money to make them. Were those two fair statements? Then? Yes, I think those are two fair statements. Okay. And more because they're coming from a different perspective as opposed to just being uh, irregardless of, you know, what was best. I think they thought they were doing what was best, but they didn't know how to do what was best for a museum. So what was the compelling, I understand from your institution, what was the compelling reason on the, for the other institution to do this? Because I, I could see them saying, okay, yeah, you want us to take on a whole additional burden now, having to raise additional money and so forth and so on. So what was in it for them? Right. So there were many discussions about that, uh, both with the leadership from the Freedom Center as well as the leadership from the Cincinnati Museum Center. Part of it was, um, from the CEO's point of view, a legacy thing, I think. Uh, that he could say, you know, I helped to bring this museum and it was stable. We weren't so far out of the realm of being saved that it was a huge concern. You know, of, of course, we're all trying to play for power during our due diligence and everything, but if we had been so far in the red that there was nothing you could do, they wouldn't have taken us off. And were there two CEOs and what was going to lose two job? Two CEOs. Okay. So at that time, you know, it was kind of a legacy thing for the CEO from the Cincinnati Museum Center, um, I think on a personal level, and that's just my perception. From the Cincinnati Museum Center's board perspective, it gives you a whole new area to play in. And so the Cincinnati Museum Center is Cincinnati and regionally focused. Like I said, they've got a couple of different museums, um, but they're all kind of doing little bits of things. It's like a a small historical society, really, Um, small focused historical society. The Freedom Center is a national museum. We have all of these things that we can talk about. We can get money from much larger institutions. We get federal grants. Yes, it's a great space. Um, So there are a lot of opportunities from their side about the expansion. Um, It also gives some potential for name awareness. So in terms of the Cincinnati Museum Center's mission, they're really supposed to be uh, local and regional. And if they want to grow out of that, the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center helps them to do that. So for example, uh, we're going to start traveling an exhibition. The Cincinnati Museum Center is doing a lot of that. They're using the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center's name, but then it's kind of traveled by the Cincinnati Museum Center. So they're able to kind of so it's exposure. Yes. So so let me ask them. I mean that leads into a number of questions, but. The, to me, the one of the biggest issues that I've seen with mergers is mm-hmm. what is this thing going to be called? Because people are so invested, at the board level particularly, in the name of the institution. Mm-hmm. You bring two things together, you can only have one name. So what did you end up doing with so this? So that's interesting, and it can only have one name. Again, keeping in mind that we are very much connected to these corporate entities and corporate ideas. 
Procter & Gamble is one of our major funders. A lot of our board members have come from there. Um, it is a staple of Cincinnati. And so what we ended up deciding was it was very much, and I'm not not good at Procter & Gamble uh, supply, so I'll probably mess this up. But basically the idea was that you could have Crest and you could have something else <laughs> and they're both yeah they're both made by the same company with a different kind of target audience shampoo is probably a better idea so there's one shampoo for curly hair and there's one shampoo for straight hair they're both seen separately they're both seen as separate products but they're actually made by the same company so for our merger we are still seen externally as two separate institutions we are seen as the Cincinnati Museum Center and the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center. Two separate institutions were still two separate buildings. Um, but they are kind of, I think they call it the controlling member. So they have kind of the ultimate fiscal responsibility and some of the, the overriding responsibilities, even though externally we're seen as two separate entities. But there's one board and one CEO. See, again, making assumptions. There are two boards, and there's one CEO and one president. So the president reports to the CEO? So the president reports to the CEO, and at this point, the, there, the president reports into the Freedom Center board, the CEO reports into the Museum Center board, but the president of the Freedom Center reports into the CEO of the Cincinnati Museum Center. So it gets very complicated, and they both kind of make separate decisions, but if push comes to shove, then the Cincinnati Museum Center Board and the Cincinnati Museum Center CEO have the ultimate kind of authority. For your, for your back house things that, that you referenced, such mm -hmm. as human resources, finances, is that all centrally so located? those are all together. And did you have to rebrand all of this? Um, we have. Some things are still separate, and some things have both of our logos on them. And so I usually look at it like this. Right, so we call them shared services. So human resources, facilities, security, um, our front desk, actually. A lot of those are kind of in by themselves, and then we have these that are externally focused, so exhibitions, programs, um, to some extent development and memberships are separate. Um, some of that has to do with uh, keeping the institutional identity, and some of that has to do with fear from the boards during the due diligence phase. So they said, well, our members maybe not don't want to get information from the Freedom Center, and our members maybe don't want to get information from the Museum Center. So some we've kept some of those separate. Our members may not want to give to the, you know. Ultimately, I think that they will start coming more and more together. Um, but that's also an interesting idea because, again, they're two separate identities. And so trying to maintain, you know, our process and procedures may be the same, 
but we want to have two separate focus areas. So some essential functions were consolidated with security and facilities. So that would be more complicated training, but is there rotation between the two institutions or is it separate? And then do you have a central buyer, say, for your retail store and your cafe? Yes. So. so uh, to directly answer, our, our cafe and our retail store do have centralized people who run them. So the general staff are separate for the most part. Uh, the manager is the same for all. The front desk rotates. So the overall manager is the same, and then the general staff can be at either place. Um, some of the other areas that you mentioned, for example, facilities, we do have a person who is at the Freedom Center all the time for facilities, but reports into someone at the Museum Center. Um, and kind of that works with exhibits as well. So even though we're separate with exhibits, there is an exhibit support team at the Museum Center who comes over and does some things for the Freedom Center. And the fundraising? And the fundraising is currently separate. So we actually have, it's, this is one of those strange things, the Museum Center, and I don't know exactly how many, um, but they have more than 10 people who are raising money and annual fund and major gifts. We have currently, if you count our president, we have two and a half people who are doing about the same amount. Yes, so our president, we have a director of development. We have another director of development that position that's vacant, and then we have a 32-hour grant writer. How long have you been there? I've been there going on six years. So I started in January of 2008. So again, we opened in August 2004. So I've been there about half the time. So kind of once all of the craziness of the opening went away, then I was here, and I've been here kind of through the craziness of the transition. Okay, you said that they kept both names, but was one of the problems with the Freedom Center and this was maybe in my head, maybe I was the only one, but I had a misperception of like, what it was about because mm -hmm. of the name. Like, I thought it was just about the Underground Railroad, just in passing. Mm -hmm. I was in town recently and saw it, and I was like, oh, okay, it's about freedom, and it's, it's like a bigger concept. Mm -hmm. Was that part of the problem, and did that not go away by keeping the same name? It's an interesting concept because we do, I think we get a lot of money because of the Underground Railroad tie, and it is certainly our foundation. So, um, but on the other hand of that, there is a misconception because it's not just about the Underground Railroad, it goes further. So it depends on kind of who you talk to about the vision moving forward, because there was a lot of discussion um, during due diligence about, should we just call it the Freedom Center, which is what we kind of locally call it. We just say it's the Freedom Center. Um, so there was discussion about just changing the name to that, but a lot of our board members were worried about the loss of the legacy and the foundation that that, that title would um, So the title and commission have always been there, and that's mm -hmm. just always confused me a little bit. Yeah, the title has always been there. More pragmatic at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the size of the budget of the Freedom Center versus the size of the budget of the the size of the budget of the Freedom Center at this point is about $4.7 million. Is that just operations? Um, yes, basically, basically operations. I haven't seen their latest figures, but I think they're about 15 or 16. Okay, and how much of that has to be raised as opposed to earned? 
Hmm. Uh, I am not good with all the figures, but I think the Cincinnati Museum Center gets the vast majority of its rev its budget from earned. Well, so they get tax money, but just for the building because they're in a historic building. They're in the Union Terminal. I'm sorry. Money from the railroad. From Amtrak. Yes. Um, and so there's the money from the city, there's the money from Amtrak, and then they get a lot of money from admissions cost because they, they have a children's museum, they have an omnium exit, all of those things. And they're able to bring big exhibitions like Bodies and Cleopatra, so they bring a lot of just... What's the typical admissions um, price for that? Um, theirs is about 15 general admission plus on top of that any What's special exhibits. What's the, what do you know their attendance figure, gross attendance figure? Mm. You pay separately, in, yes, yes, you pay separately for each one, but one or the other. But the, yeah, it's over, so since museum the museum center is over a million because they have a lot of repeat customers with the children's museum. The Freedom Center is basically the opposite revenue of the Museum Center. So we have very little that comes in through earned through admissions. We have a lot that we raise through grants and major gifts and things like that. Uh, we have about 120,000 people that come in versus their What's the size of the admission, the membership at the, the Museum Center? They're both about the same. Um, and so an individual, I think, is about $35, and a family membership is about 65 And what's the gross number of members? What are the number of members? Their members, I'm not sure. It's in the tens of thousands. Our members are, I think, we're about 1,400. Is there a shuttle that goes between both institutions? Is there any sort of... Yeah, we have talked about doing something like that. We have not yet. The Metro, the, the Cincinnati bus system, does kind of hit both of our places, um, but it's it's a 45-minute ride or something when otherwise it would take you less than 10 minutes to get there. So, so how long has this merger been in place? We became official July 1st of last year, so it's just over a year, a year and two months. Um, and we did our due diligence phase basically for six months before that, January to July. So what's not working? What's not working? I think that one of the things that I really wanted to talk about was during our due diligence phase, because this was a financial decision, people looked at the finances very closely and everything else they said, we can do it afterwards during the transition. And so, um, as I've been talking about, the cultures are so different at these institutions. The development, the target audience, the, the cause, the mission. The experience is, the experience is so different. And pe the leadership said, we'll think about that later. And I think that is now coming to bite people, not necessarily from an external point of view, but very much so from an internal point of view. Um, we also are, I, I talk about shared services a lot. So because they are kind of the larger and parent organization and we are the smaller organization, um, we have shared services. So technically that's working. You know, if I ask someone, I say, there's a pipe that burst and we need to get all of our collections out of this area, someone will come over and do it. If I say, there's a panel that fell down, 
they say, okay, I'll come fix it when I can, and it may be three weeks later. So shared services technically is working, but in reality it's not really working because it's more of a when I can get to it. And I think that that comes from a lack of expectation and priority from the top. Um, to, to say, you know, this we have merged with this organization, it is just as important as the other. So you're suggesting that the, we'll get to it later, is more on the Freedom Center side. Yes. You're the, you're the stepchild rather yes. than the equal partner. And I said affect staff. Hmm? How does that affect staffs? Um, morale, yeah, morale and culture. It does happen often. Um, there was a lot of discussion. Another thing that we were all going to talk about was the word merger. Um, and so there was a lot of discussion about, you know, whether that should actually have been the word and whether it should have been the word both externally as well as internally. So we all kind of understand the politics that come with bringing two institutions together in the community as well as internally. And so the idea, again, with our business-minded people saying it's a merger kind of um, led the community to think one way, led the internal staffs on both sides to think one way. And yet that's not exactly what it turned out to be because it is this big organization versus a small and, and the stepchild type of thing. Um, and so there have been a lot of discussions from the Freedom Center staff point of view internally that they would have preferred it to be called something else, what they, you know, what it is. Not take over. Yes. Integrated. Integration. Right. They would prefer it to have been called something else because then they could have wrapped their minds around what the situation actually was. Um, and some of it is just a, a bigger organization not necessarily thinking. So um, here, are, here are our policies, let's just use these policies and this is what we're doing from now on, versus when the Freedom Center people came together thinking that this was a murder, they were thinking, okay, you're going to listen to our ideas, we're going to show you our policies, we're going to come together and decide the best practices of the policies. And when that didn't happen, um, there was a lot of, we were talking about low morale. There's a lot of adjustments that have had to be made, um, more so on the Freedom Center side than the Museum Center. How were you informed? How was the staff um, informed? I hope you didn't read about this in the press first and think, oh my God, we're being eaten up by this greater entity and our voices aren't being heard. And was there a sort of contradiction in the Museum Center being out there in the community facilitating dialogue? I don't even know if they do that. Mm -hmm. And then there wasn't any internal discussion about how you were all going to work together. How was that information imparted to the staff? And how did you work through all the stuff that you're naturally going to feel? Right. Um, unfortunately, it was a little bit of a, here it is in the newspaper, officially. Um, there had been, of course, and I think that is more, um, it, that is how it was officially. However, the Museum Center is so much larger that I think that their staff was taken more by surprise than the Freedom Center staff who knew that there was trouble, they knew that there was, you know, financial scariness going on, and we had had some talks about that. Um, they had seen people from the Museum Center walking through our building. Right. So. 
Uh, the Freedom Center people kind of knew something was going on. guessing or divining. Yes, and so that's kind of how it started, right, on that side. The Museum Center people, again, because they're so large and because they didn't have all of the facts, have been very, their general staff has been very excited. Like, oh, we love the Freedom Center. We want to work with you. We want to do all of these things. And, of course, the Freedom Center on the other side is like, time out. Who are you? Why are we... Why are we doing this? So um, afterward, during the due diligence phase, as they were looking at a lot of the finances, we did have several kind of focus sessions about how people felt. More often than not, they were separate sessions. So there was a museum center focus group and a freedom center focus group. Um, we did start to do um, an initiative together to come up with a common purpose and quality standards. And very much so, they made an effort to make sure that a lot of the Freedom Center people were involved in that initiative. Again, the general staff, so the leadership had been talking for a while, but the general staff kind of got together on this initiative. And it did help because they got to know each other on an individual level. They were working towards some common goal. Um, the danger, of course, the two dangers. One, there were less Freedom Center people because we just don't have as many. So trying to make sure that they didn't get overrun during this initiative. But two, and I think that this kind of started the future, um, that the Freedom Center people were encouraged to be on this initiative without a real recognition of all of the work that they had to do with less staff. And so that has kind of continued. You know, we, we appreciate the diversity of having the two different institutions coming together, but that means that you're spending eight hours when someone else over here is only essentially spending four hours, if that kind of makes sense. Well, let's come back to what's working and not working, because mm -hmm. I think what, what Tom brought up a second ago, this, what you didn't have was a merger of equals. Right. And uh, so I think some of what you're dealing with then is the fact that you, you have a smaller institution. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm not sure that by continuing to have separate boards, if you're not perpetuating that problem, yes. that to me eventually somebody's going to say, we've only, we can only work this with one board. Mm -hmm. And we've, when we're, because right now it's, it's almost to me like you're not really fully merged. You, right. you're maintaining is it a single this. audit? It is a single audit. No, it's not. It's two audits because we are two separate 501 Yeah, see, I wouldn't want to have to run this place. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you've got it. You I've worked in both situations, so it's yeah. I, it's interesting with the board. Again, I think that the two separate boards um, really came out of the fear from both sides. I don't want to say it was more one side than the other, but it came out of the fear of both sides that the Cincinnati Museum Center wanted to say, okay, we have fiscal responsibility, which means we have to ask you about X, Y, and Z. The Freedom Center Board was afraid that they would lose decision-making and authority and identity. You know, they wanted to make sure that the mission stayed the way that it was. And so there have been these two separate boards, and yet the Freedom Center Board I hesitate to say, but is becoming more like an advisory board. Um, you know, we we put our budget through them, and they can say yes, but essentially it goes to the Museum Center Board because of their fiscal responsibility. But it, they have two separate audits. They have two separate audits, just like our two separate, we have two um, 
separate budgets. See, my prediction is that eventually you're either going to separate again, you're going to demerge, yeah. or you're going to, one of those is going to be, those boards will be eliminated, you're going to be fully merged at some point, and there, there will be one board. Uh, there may still be an advisory group of right. some type, but I don't see how in the long term you're going to be able to function. It, and it won't. Um, you'll have two campuses. Right. You'll have one institution with two campuses. Exactly. So maybe you write uh, a, uh, like our board rules, whatever mm -hmm. they're called, um, so that it, within five years or, you know. And that's of. what it will be um, without having that written. So like I was saying, th this is kind of what the staff looks like. Already we're starting to do that. Technically our collections are separate, Freedom Center and Museum Center, but we're all now using uh, the EMU software. So we all of the Freedom Center collections have been put into the EMU system as kind of a separate collection, but within the whole of the Museum Center. We're using the same policies. Um, same type of thing with exhibits. So even though exhibits are supposed to be separate and I have an ex exhibitions manager to kind of handle logistics, the CMC exhibits team is helping to install and deinstall, um, looking over major contracts. So even generally speaking, the things that were separate before are starting to merge together and that will most definitely happen with the board. And the Cincinnati Museum Center does have, they have an advisory board for their children Museum, an advisory board for their, you know, so that is what it will be. I don't think anyone can ever predict all the things that, you know, I mean, you you can get someone in from Delta and Northwest Airlines together and they can tell you all the stuff of how they shook those, you know, I mean, they're very real and personal. And, and I think if you, if you ended up with, if you had looked at it as a two separate campuses, mm -hmm. but it, each one had its own provost, so to speak, I think it would more, bring more parity then in terms mm -hmm. of the the relationship between the two, where then you have one CEO, one president of the whole thing. Right. Each place had its own uh, provost or vice president or whatever you want to call it that ramble of those places. Mm -hmm. I, I can't even imagine trying to just, you know, just all, I mean, so many things that would just be. I've, I've been in three situations, mm -hmm. institutions, the Kennedy Center, which had the, which had took over the National Symphony Orchestra. Mm -hmm. And so it was a fully owned, wholly owned subsidiary, if you track the periods of business. And it had its board. It had been merged 10 or 15 years. All audited as part of the Kennedy Center. Mm -hmm. And the board still acted like they were in charge when they were, but they really weren't. It comes yeah. down to it. We had, but all the other function, there was a program staff for the symphony. But the development operation for the symphony was part of the development operation for the Kennedy Center. I was director of development, so that, and I would be in both places. But I had 25 people in this development staff, and we had children. Um, and that was the most that was the most awkward, it, it, because there was this kind of pretend. In Cooperstown, I was vice president for development and marketing of two institutions. Farmers Museum, New York State Historical Association. Half of my pay came from one, half from the other, two paychecks. And um, two separate boards, two audits. Equally divided paycheck? Equally divided okay. paycheck. The management of the institutions were the same. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. until you got down to kind of an operational level where you had the group of staff who always worked at the Farmers Museum versus the group of staff who always worked in the museum and the library. And there was some flexibility in terms of maintenance and services. One development operation, one marketing function, the, all the common off, one security function, one all of these other things. That really worked pretty well. There were other issues, but that really worked pretty well. One membership. There was no membership in the Farms Museum, but all the benefits of membership from the New York State Historical Association were taken in the Farmers Museum. The third was where in Springfield, Massachusetts, where I was president of the institution, we had the public library system and four museums, two art museums, a science museum, a history museum, four directors. The art museums had one science director, history director, and library director. And there we had a single board. I made it a single budget with then budgets going out rather than summing the budgets to a whole. And there were an advisory committee who acted like boards in a manner of which, but they were advisory committees for each of these program areas or operating units. That worked even when we had to go through a hundred employee, hundred had to cut a hundred positions out of three hundred. Mm -hmm. That we we took, but the way we did that is we we. we defined what the organization would look like program in terms of programs and services at the end and back from that into who then would be laid off. And you have to expect that because the idea of the merger is great efficiency. Right. You know, and, and, so, and we and there had been, you know, before there had been some maintenance people that were really in one building versus in the other building. And it became a single man single maintenance function. Now they had there was the adjustments of, you know, why aren't they coming to do my ceiling or my toilet or whatever first or as fast. But those you get into as operating details that you have to manage through from a, from a support department. It was a single development operation mm -hmm. for everything. So my sense is that by by picking and choosing which div, which common services were there were were in unified, mm -hmm. you're in far worse shape than if we than, all come together. Than taking the programs and services because the finances will follow mm -hmm. rather than starting with the finances, right. which doesn't it, that and it's it goes to the whole notion of programs drive finances. Finances don't really drive programs. Well, Unless and that's it's what, yeah, that's what my kind of ultimate idea here would be is that you either need to fully come together um, and take the time during due diligence. Everybody should do, do, do due diligence, but not just in terms of finances. We need to think of the cultures, we need to think of the organizational structure, we need to think of the pay salary. You know, it's it's not a good idea to have to do things and say, we'll look at them later. What's the parity between the salary structures? There's still parity between the salary structures. Um, and so we've heard, you know, a consulting group will be coming, um, but it, it keeps getting pushed off for a variety for the, of reasons. For the, sal the salary issues or so the other unification issues? For the salary issues. So there, there isn't parity, though? No. So there's a lot going on. Um, it's kind of like we're stuck 
in between. Well, here's these my two suggestion. Things. You shouldn't hire Tom Costello mm -hmm. as your consultant and have there him come in and tell everybody what they need to do and get it straightened out. Yeah. Your experience sounds like it's exactly what they need. Yeah, well, it seems like it, doesn't it? But, <laughs> but to really talk about, you know, what this does to the staff, I think. Oh, yeah. the community reception as well. How did the community respond? Interestingly, there wasn't as much of a community, community response as before. As long as they can get in and go the see The community what was... Um, Except that they would like to write one check. No, well, well, they they don't don't being interesting to me. Ah, I mean, but they should. Well, the donors, that, uh, let's say a different donor. Underground donor. Uh, Railroad Freedom Center had failed in any way? No, no. Um, more so the community took a deep breath and kind of said, Finally, you know, whatever they're doing in there is going to keep going. Um, we don't have to worry. We don't have to hear it on the news anymore. And so there wasn't really any negative discussion about the murder. It was kind of just a breath of relief. And now things are what they are, you know. The biggest single financing issue, which is relevant to here, is that when we were operating much more as it was a still a federal kind of a, a United States thing. We could apply for three different IMLS grants, and we sometimes got three and sometimes got none. Mm -hmm. Once we did the consolidations, we could only apply for one right. IMLS grant because we had done so much consolidation below the program side mm -hmm. that it became, it was questionable. And right. actually, the next step in reduction of and reductions that we knew happened after I left, but it was we knew that because we had planned what the what the scaling back would be was the elimination of three museum directors and going to one museum director, mm -hmm. and then having staff and then a further consolidation of education, collections, and those functions, so that because we had to cut more people, which I think begs the question, and this is something that that to me is one of the issues that I worry about with the consolidation because we hear donors say what you're, what institution A and institution B are doing are so similar to one another. Uh, it would be nice just to be able to write one check to support both of you. You're both competing. You're out in the community, both feeding at the same philanthropic, philanthropic trough. Uh, I would like to see you come together and merge and, and create this one larger institution, but will their checks continue to be, will they still give the same amount of money all the checks they went in, in Springfield. All the checks went to the Library and Museums Association. They didn't go to the Art Museum or the Science Museum or the History Museum or the Library. We would could, they could designate, them, but they were all for the common course of common support. In Cooperstown, by contrast, I had to set up two thousand dollar donor groups: one for the Farmers Museum and one for the, for the New York State Historical Association Federal Art Museum. And incredibly, they grew. There were almost a hundred donors, and each one, a third of them overlapping. In other words, a third giving twice as much money. Right. All right. That's and, the that's, yeah. That's the question that I would have. Is and that and yeah. it, and it worked, at least while I was there, and while I think Steve Elliott was there. Mm -hmm. um, but I've heard that things are not the way they used to be out there. But that's another that's another matter. That's because Steve Elliott's my boss now. Okay. <laughs> well, Steve, yes. And I, and, oh, there's a, there's, there's, anyhow. So what other practical kind of 
questions and IT website your story of you and then internally how are you communicating I mean for the email system do you have the appropriate support are you networked everybody within the CMC so we have externally we have two separate website looks and brands and all of that Inside uh, the CMC IT is the one who handles kind of both of those, um, but we do, as part of the shared services, we do have two ABIT people situated at the Freedom Center. Um, and then in terms of kind of marketing with social media type of things and what's going on the website, uh, we do have two departments who are both doing that. Um, but the marketing department, again, kind of reports into the marketing department over there. So in that sense, everybody is kind of knowing what everyone else is doing. Um, and we're working on, for both the Museum Center and the Freedom Center, new website designs. They will still be separate designs, um, but they are back office together. So if we're looking at, um, you know, paying ahead at RSVPing or paying ahead for an evening program, at this point, um, the looks are still separate. So at the Freedom Center, we're not necessarily doing RSVPs for an event at the Museum Center, nor are they doing it for us. However, when someone reserves, it's actually going to the reservations department, which is at the Cincinnati Museum Center. So again, kind of. So I can't go on a website and buy tickets for either, for one, either one. No. I'll tell you something. I'm, I, I'm sort of distant from this. I have been to both. I've been to Cincinnati several times, but not in a number of years. And the first time I time I heard about this merger was through a tweet or something through LinkedIn from. Doug McDonald and I was shocked I was like oh my god how could this happen what's happening there <laughs> but um, I think the museum Cincinnati local community was I just thought that was a very odd way to communicate what was going on yes why should the museum field be concerned otherwise the museum field have to deal with the operation well it's not it's not necessarily the operation it is this idea of identity and organization so especially from the freedom center side there are a lot of people that i know in the museum field who are saying this is a great mission this is a, has a lot of potential will by merging with the cincinnati museum center will that dampen what the Freedom Center is doing. Um, and so there, you know, will it end up being completely merged in the identity and it just becomes another organization? So that was the concern, I think, not necessarily how it's going to operate I think and what's the, going the to issue happen. is how well they're managed. Mm -hmm. It's not well the well. issue of, the issue is how, how well it's managed. managed. It's not the right. issue of whether there is a loss of identity. Mm -hmm. You can keep the identity under a single institution. Each of the museums in Springfield had an identity. When the Smith & Wesson Historic Gun Collection was donated by Smith & Wesson, it went to the History Museum. Mm -hmm. It didn't go to the Art Museum. We didn't tackle the more appropriate issue of why does the most important piece of American decorative arts in the Science Museum collection and not in either the Art Museum collection or the History Museum collection. We didn't tackle that because it didn't make any difference. What we tackled were the issues of, of balancing out audiences and focusing on the consolidation of operating services and programs. And that cleared things up pretty nicely. But it's I think, though, I understand what you're saying, but I, but I also hear that addressing 
what people believe in and as their mission and why people work for certain things that that somehow that wasn't acknowledged or you mean from a staff standpoint? Yeah. Oh, I think the staffing issue is abominable. You got to you got to create a sense of equity and a sense of commonality. Right. We had a union. We had a collective bargaining unit in the mm -hmm. middle of our operation. Mm -hmm. Ask me local, mm -hmm. and they worked with us. So, except for bumping, they yeah, worked with us. Staff turnover? Are you? Um, it depends on who you ask. Uh, if you ask Doug, he would give you a completely different answer. Um, but from my point of view, with approximately the 20 people that we had after the merger, we've had nine people leave of the 20. Um, That's huge. Yes. And, uh, you know, another important aspect of that, I think, is that it, it ranges from... Um, and I'm not talking about the, the front desk staff necessarily, but it ranges from kind of the program specialist all the way up to the directors. Um, and we actually just got a new president uh, who started last week. So we'll say from the president all the way down to... And were you involved staff. in helping select? I mean, were the staff involved in helping make the selection for the... Were you able to weigh in at least? Again, it depends on who you ask. So um, from the Freedom Center perspective, right, we were not a part of the interview process at all in terms of the staff or the leadership. Um, the new president did have time to talk to some of the leadership over at the Cincinnati Museum Center. So from one perspective, people were involved in terms of who he would be working on a peer level with. On the, the other perspective, he was not involved with anyone that he would directly kind of be working with. Mm -hmm. wow. So he's that very diplomatically. Yes. <laughs> but it says something about the person who accepts that position. Mm -hmm. I've made mistakes by not interviewing stuff. I mean, meeting them before accepting the job. Yeah. So to kind of round all of this up, one of the things that I will say is, you know, mergers, coalitions, alliances, however you want to say them, are not necessarily always going to work, nor are they never going to work. Um, but I think it is about leadership, and I think that it is about thinking about things um, on a variety of levels. So again, not just will this work financially, but really will this work for your people, will this work for your mission, will this work for the vision of where you want to go. And again, with the Freedom Center, the vision that is currently being promoted is not necessarily the vision that we originated with. Um, and so some people kind of have drifted away because that's not the vision that they had intended. I don't necessarily see um, that it's wrong to have a new vision as, you know, how much we've changed in the past almost 10 years. So that's not wrong. Um, but it is important to try to keep kind of the essence of what you're doing. And so during due diligence, you have to um, understand that this is where we started, this is the parts that we want to make sure continue, and no matter what, you kind of stick to that. Um, and there was that discussion from the Freedom Center board, and yet that, you know, that was kind of a philosophical discussion for them as well. Do we want to keep what we wanted and maybe close? Do we want to change and give up a lot of what we wanted and stay open? 
Um, and obviously they made the stay open decision and we'll have to wait. You know, again, it's been a year and a couple of months, so we'll have to wait and see kind of how that ends up going. And honestly, whether any of the staff from before will stay, um, because I think as the vision changes, as the culture changes, there will be a lot, a lot more transition than, you know, the nine that we've had and kind of what that will mean for the mission and the vision and the interpretation. For the attendance for your organization in the last 10 years, how has it changed from the local community versus out of state for, you know, um, how much is it a destination for tourists? It's been about the same, actually. We get a lot of school groups. So our attendance has dropped a little, but we we get about the same um, in school groups. We get a lot of regional. And then we have, and I don't know the percentage, but we have an interesting percentage of people who are coming from around the nation but also, more importantly, from internationally. So we work with um, the government, the State Department, to bring international people. We have um, people who are coming from various African countries. So, so we it's kind of interesting because we have a lot of local people. We have uh, regional because it's right there in Indiana, Kentucky, Ohio, and Illinois. And then we have kind of a random group of national and international people. And does the um, Confection Visitors Bureau help you out there promoting or not? Um, again, I think it's a leadership thing that we haven't necessarily reached out for those partnerships, and they are often busy with a lot of other things. So more recently, since the merger, they've suggested some conventions and things, but. Um, yeah, we have as far as um, bringing the media from Cincinnati and, and making sure that you've got international media coming through. Right. We haven't done a good job mm. of that. Is the Freedom Center associated with the Sites of Conscience? It is. So when I came, I came. You can see her name badge. You would see the yes. oh, okay. Sites of Conscience. Yeah, lots of them. So. Um, <laughs> When I came in 2008, I started with all of the exhibitions. In 2009, I put together Without Sanctuary, Lynching Photography in America, uh, which you have probably heard of. And so at that point, I made us a member of the international sites. Um, we have since then done some things with them, but are not nearly as active as we should be. Same type of thing with Smithsonian affiliates. We've worked with them some in the past, but we don't utilize them as much as we should. What's your function? I am the director of museum experiences, so I am in charge of um, basically everything that's happening with the exception of development, and um, we have a modern-day slavery department. So I do everything else um, that's not trafficking. Yes, like trafficking. So I have exhibitions, collections, interpretation, volunteers, public programming, education, if I didn't already say that, uh, our historians, our interns. Yeah, so I do have all you read, Have you read The Experience Economy? No. So you should. I have an extra edition. copy of it. Your revised <laughs> I got edition, that in Cincinnati. The new edition is really is, is an improvement from this. Pine. Pine and Gilmore. Okay. And in fact, they have a book that is 
they, it, it kind of leads to this in a, in a experience economy. Mm-hmm. But the, their follow-up book is called Authenticity. Okay. Which they see as the heart of everything. I promise you I'll send you my copy because I was going to give it away anyway. Okay. <laughs> okay. And Wonderful. I, it's, it's good. All right. I just came over to remind us that we're trying to get everybody out. Everybody out. We were about to yes. give her a little round of applause. Oh, yeah. thank you. Thank you Since we're being much. recorded, we should clap. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it is? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I'm Bob I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan. I chose and I forgot. Yeah, well, that's no. why I was being very careful not to say anything oh, about who I was, and I kept pushing. For the last week, you <laughs> No, I thank you guys. I hope that we had good I would love to give you a card, and I walked out of the room very much. You're welcome. Oh. But thank you. It was a great pleasure to meet you. What is your background?